Father, in the stillness and quietness of this moment, fill us with the knowledge that you are God and that we are not. And Lord, we pray that your spirit might teach us today, that your word might be real and alive to us, that as we consider a prayer that Jesus prayed for us, that Lord, we might hear in it your love for us and your desire for us to know you and to make you known. So Lord, we just pray that in our time of worship today, that not only are you magnified and glorified, but Father, that we're transformed to be a better reflection of your majesty and glory in the world. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, we are less than 90 days away from Easter. And for some of you might be thinking, well, so what? What's the big deal? Uh, Well, for us, Easter changes everything. And so the anticipation and expectation for Easter is something that as a Christian we look forward to. And as a church, we said, what would it be like if we took uh, just the time between the beginning of the year and Easter Sunday to really focus on the most important relationship of all, and that's our relationship with God. And, and we want to give you some practical ways to do that. So we've been challenging and encouraging uh, you all who've come to gather here to worship uh, to do three simple things. The first one we want you to do is to pray, is to focus on praying. Uh, that God, the God of the universe has invited you into a relationship with him, invited you to talk to him, and, and you have an opportunity to do that anytime, any place. And so simply we want you to set aside time every day to be near to God through reading God's word, through prayer. And uh, we put together a, a resource uh, that I've written based on John 1 through 13 called 90 Days with the Disciple Jesus Loves. It's online, social media. You can follow it, a daily devotion there to kind of help you get into God's word. There are print copies available. But whatever you use, just set aside a time every day to pray and connect with God. The second thing we want to challenge you to do is to connect. To get involved in a small group with other believers where you can study God's word together. Because we believe as God draws you closer to other believers, he'll also draw you closer to himself. And third, we want you to go. We want you to live your faith in 2017 outside the walls of this church like maybe you've never lived in before. Because if you want to draw nearer to God, if you want to strengthen your relationship with God, then the best way to do that is to live your life the way he called you, the way he invited you to live your life. So go out of this place and live on mission with him. Uh, You can join us on uh, next Sunday, January 29th for Discovering Missions. We can let you know about some ways you can join us in some mission trips here at Southside or some other ways you can get involved. So we hope you'll sign up on the communication card that Ron talked about earlier. We'll collect that at the end of the service. We'd love for you to be, be a part of that. Uh, as we talk about this idea of connecting with God through prayer, one of the things that is very obvious from reading the scriptures is that Jesus prayed a lot. And Jesus' prayers were powerful. They changed things. They changed people. They changed circumstances. And so much so that his followers said, hey, we want to pray like that. How do you do that? Would you teach us how to pray? And so in Matthew chapter 6, we have a very famous prayer that probably most of you have memorized, whether you ever come to church or not. And we often call it the Lord's Prayer. It begins, Our Father which art in heaven. You you know that prayer. That's, That's really a model prayer. It's a template that Jesus gave his disciples and said, Hey, if you want to know how to pray, here's a template. Pray like this. But there's another prayer that we have recorded in John chapter 17. And it's not just a template, it is an actual prayer that Jesus prayed. It's a model for us in prayer, in relationship between Jesus, God the Son, and God the Father. And we get to listen in 
to this incredible prayer. And it tells us so much about God. It tells us so much about Jesus. But it also gives, gives us a beautiful example of how we can have a more potent and powerful prayer life as we seek to draw near to God. So I want to invite you, if you have a Bible with you, to open to John chapter 17. Uh, we are taking the next several weeks and, and looking at this prayer that Jesus prayed in an effort to, to draw us nearer to God but also in an effort to draw us nearer to one another, but that your families would be drawn closer together through the power of prayer, that our church would be drawn closer together through the power of prayer. So we're looking at this for the next several weeks, and we'll be looking at verses 1 through 5 today, John chapter 17. There are Bibles in front of you. If you don't have one at home, please feel free to take that as our gift. We'll also put the words on the screen. John 17, verse 1. When Jesus had spoken these words, he lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son, that the Son may glorify you. Since you have given him authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all whom you have given him, and this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. This is the word of the Lord. Now, this this passage of Scripture tells us something really, really important. And if you're a note taker, we put some places for you to follow along and take notes on the back of your worship guide this morning. That may help. But I I want you to hear sort of the principle from these five verses that teach us about about praying, about how our prayers can reflect Jesus' prayer. And the principle is just this, that the effective prayer has one goal. Now, there are lots of reasons why we pray, You you may be praying for a job, you may be praying for a child, you may be praying uh, for somebody's health situation. There are lots of reasons why we pray, but effective prayer has one goal, and this is the goal. The surrender of my will for the glory of God. That is the one goal of prayer. The surrender of my will for the glory of God. Now, if you are somebody who doesn't pray very often, or maybe you don't come to church very often, that may seem like an insurmountable obstacle to a prayer life. That you would basically say, you know what, I'm going to set aside my will, I'm going to set aside what I want for the glory of God. I'm not even sure I know what the glory of God is, but I certainly know the only reason I pray is to get what I want. You wouldn't be alone in that. I think most Christians, most people who pray, their primary reason for praying is to get what they want. But if that, is, if that is the one goal that we have, I imagine you're often frustrated by your prayer life. So what I'd like to talk about is this one goal that Jesus modeled for us in verses 1 through 5. What, and, and answer a couple questions. First of all, what is the glory of God? If that's the one goal of our prayer, what is the glory of God? And then I'd like to, for us to look at why did Jesus pray for it? And finally, how does praying for it have an impact on your prayer life? So, so let's take a look first at what is the glory of God. Now, pastor and theologian John Piper gives a definition of the glory of God. It goes like this. God's glory is the outward radiance. You with me so far? Okay, this means yes. You with me so far? Okay. God's glory is the outward radiance of the intrinsic beauty and greatness of his manifold perfection. So what... what What Dr. Piper is basically saying is 
that God's glory is evidence of the fact that he is beautiful. God's glory is evidence of the fact that he is great. God's glory is evidence of his existence. That's what God's glory is. It's what you see about who he is. It's about understanding and knowing him. That is what God's glory is. And here's what's really important for you to know, especially if you're here and you're sort of looking for your purpose in life. What is, why do I even exist? What is, my, what is the meaning of life? Why am I even here? You were created for the glory of God. That's why you exist. That when God created you, he created you specifically for his glory. Anybody in here raised in a denomination or a church tradition that used catechism? You know, where they ask a question, you give an answer? Okay, some of you will recognize this, uh, the Westminster Shorter, Shorter Catechism. The question is this, what is the purpose of man? And the answer is, man's purpose is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. That is the purpose of man. That we were created for God's glory and we were created to enjoy him forever. If you read the Genesis account, you go back and you read when God created Adam and Eve, when he created men and women, he created them in his what? Image. He created them in his image. And the very first command that God gave to Adam and Eve was to be fruitful and multiply. Now think about this for one second. What was that command really about? Men, it wasn't what you think. That command was really about magnifying the image of God throughout the whole earth. That Adam and Eve were created in God's image. And when God said, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth, he's basically saying, go out and fill the earth with my image. That that the whole earth might be filled with the image of God. It's what we were created for. We were created to bring glory to God. To bring glory to God means that we make him known. That's what we do. If, if I'm going to bring glory to God, it means that I am revealing him. I may be revealing him in my actions towards you in the grocery store or my, my response to you on social media. Ouch. I may be revealing him to you in the words that I say or the words that I don't say. But to glorify God means to make him known. And here is the fundamental failure of, huma- of humans. Our fundamental failure is that we failed to make God known and to reflect his glory. Adam and Eve, when they, shortly after they were created, they went and they did the one thing they were told not to do. They ate from the knowledge, the tree of knowledge of good and evil. The minute that happened, the glory of God, the image of God in Adam and Eve was obscured. And God's glory was no longer seen through Adam and Eve the way he intended it to be seen. Now, you don't need an Old Testament story about Adam and Eve, who you might not even believe in a literal Adam and Eve. You you, you don't even need that story to know that that what I just said is true. Because if I were to ask you if anybody in here is perfect, my guess is maybe only a few of you would raise your hand. (laughs) Most of us would not raise our hand. Why? Because we know we're not perfect. Actually, whenever we're in an argument with somebody and we're trying to defend ourselves, we always say, well, I'm not perfect, but... I mean, that's, it's one of the things we say. when we're, We know we're not perfect. What is that? You don't have to be a believer. You don't have to be a Christian. What is that inside of you that knows, that instinctively knows that you're not perfect? The only reason you know that you're not perfect is because you know that there is such a thing as perfection. You know that there is such a thing as holiness. You know that there is such a thing that goes beyond you and you know that you don't reflect that perfectly. So there are flaws inside of you and you fail to reflect 
the glory of God. You don't even, you can't even reflect it because you don't even fully know it. Because the minute sin entered the picture, we are not able to see God's glory and to know God's glory to the full extent. Listen to what the prophet Hosea said. Hosea chapter 4 verse 6. My people are destroyed for a lack of knowledge. In other words, Hosea is saying, because you don't fully understand and comprehend my glory, you can't reflect my glory, and you, your life is not all that it could be, that it should be. It's not all that it was created to be. Some of you feel that. You know that life is not what it could be and should be. And, and you try. You try to work harder. You try to make more money. You try to engage in just the right relationship. If you could just date the right person. If you could just find the right job. Then it, but, but you get what it is you're looking for only to discover that the thing you're, you're really seeking still eludes you. And that's because what we were designed to do is to reflect the glory of God. And none of us can do that the way we were designed to do it. But here's God's promise. God promised to make his glory known to everyone. See, what sin obscured, what sin took away, God said, I am going to reveal it so that everybody can know it. He, listen to what he said in Habakkuk chapter 2, verse 14. For the earth will be, that's future tense, the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. In other words, the prophet is saying, what sin has obscured humans from seeing, I am going to reveal so that nobody can deny it. Everybody is going to see the glory of the Lord. It will be revealed. Listen to what he told the prophet Jeremiah, Je Jeremiah 31, 34. No longer shall each one teach his neighbor and each his brother saying, know the Lord. In other words, nobody's going to do the job I have. No, nobody's going to do the job of sharing faith. Nobody's going to need to teach. Why is that? For they shall all know me from the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord. That God says, I'm going to take it upon myself to reveal my glory in all creation. That, that is something that it will happen. That is something that is coming, that I am going to reveal. And here's why that is so important. Because if that's the very thing we're, we were created for, and it's the very thing we can't do, then we need to be saved. We need to be rescued from our current condition. And salvation is found through the knowledge of God's glory. That's where we find salvation. It's where we find the essence of our purpose for living is understanding God's glory. So that's just a little bit about what Jesus is praying about here. He's praying about God's glory. Now, why did he pray for this? Why did Jesus pray for it? Because if you think about what he prayed, it's a pretty bold prayer. Some might even say it's an arrogant prayer. Because what did Jesus pray? Jesus prayed, Lord, glorify me. Now, I don't know if you pray that way, but I don't. I don't pray that way. But, but he says, Lord, glorify me. Glorify me that all people may know me. I mean, this sounds like uh, the prayer of either somebody who is incredibly arrogant or there must be something about this man that sets him apart from the rest of humanity. So why did Jesus pray for the glory of God? Let's take a look at it. First of all, he said in verse 1, the hour has come. It's really important to understand what that means, what the hour means. John, in John's gospel, from the beginning to the end, Jesus refers to this hour several times. Early in the gospel, he says, my hour has not yet come. And then later in the gospel, he says, the hour is near. And then at the end of the gospel, he starts saying, the hour has come. The hour is here. Listen to what he said in John chapter 12, verse 23 and 24. 
Jesus is talking to his disciples, and here's what he said. The hour has come for the Son of Man to be, here's our word, what is it? Yeah, the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. So this hour has been about Jesus being glorified. Truly I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls to the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. And if you're listening, you scratch your head and you think, wait a minute, those two things don't really go together. Why on one hand is Jesus saying that the hour has come for him to be glorified and then he's turning around and using an illustration about a seed dying, falling to the ground and being buried? Those two don't seem to go together. Even the word glorified itself means to be lifted up. It means to be exalted. It means to be put on display so everybody would be able to see. We get a little bit more of a clue in what Jesus said in John chapter 3, verse 14 and 15. Listen to this. He said, as And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness. Now that's an Old Testament reference to a time when Moses put a snake on a stick, a bronze snake, and he held it up. And everybody who looked on it was healed from the venom of a snake bite that had had happened in the camp. So he's referring back to that Old Testament story. As As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up or glorified or exalted. He must be lifted up that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. And you think, when did that happen? When was the Son of Man lifted up? On the cross. That Jesus was lifted up on the cross much the same way that Moses had lifted up the serpent on the snake, on, on the stake. That, that, that the time had come for Jesus to be glorified meant that it was time for Jesus to be crucified, that God revealed his glory through Jesus as Jesus was lifted up on the cross. Listen to what John said. Now remember, John who is writing this for us, the the gospel of John, he is writing this as an old man. Matthew, Mark, and Luke have already written their gospels. Other people, Paul has written all his stuff. And John finally decides, you know what, I think I should write down my account of the life of Jesus too. So he's already lived with Jesus. He's walked with Jesus. He is looking backward on the life of Jesus. And everything he sees in the life of Jesus is through the lens of the resurrection and the crucifixion. Listen to what John said about Jesus in chapter 1. He said, the word became flesh and dwelt among us and we have seen his what? Glory. When did John see Jesus' glory? John saw Jesus' glory on the cross. He saw Jesus' glory through the resurrection. We have seen his glory truly, truly He says, I say to you, the glory of the Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth, no one has ever seen God, the only God, who is at the Father's side, but he has made him known. That Jesus is the only human being who has ever walked the earth who has been able to perfectly reflect the glory of God. And John says, we saw it. You may not be able to see God. You may wonder if God exists, but I can tell you I know because I've seen with my own eyes his glory. I saw it in Jesus Christ, the perfect reflection of God's glory. So in John 17, verse 1, when Jesus says, The hour has come, glorify your Son that your Son may glorify you. Why why did Jesus pray for his glorification? Jesus' glorification is for the glory of God. See, it may sound arrogant unless you realize that to be glorified meant that Jesus had to be willing to empty himself. He had to be willing to lay aside his rights, 
in order for God to be glorified through him. And I got to tell you, if you want God to be glorified in you, the requirement is the same. That you will have to be willing to lay aside your wants, lay aside your will in order for God to be glorified in and through your life. Listen to what he, he goes on and prays for in, in verses, uh, verses 2 and 3. Since you have given him authority over all flesh, Jesus is talking about himself, that God gave him authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all whom you have given him. And this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. So Jesus' glorification is for the glory of God, but Jesus' glorification resulted in the salvation of all who would believe. So that anybody who would look upon Jesus as he is glorified, they see the glory of God, and as a result of seeing the glory of God, they would be saved. As God is glorified before all human beings, people are drawn to faith in Jesus Christ. And that faith in Jesus Christ results in people being restored into a relationship with God where they once again can reflect his glory. That they're brought full circle. They're brought back to their original intention and design. That they can again demonstrate the glory of God to anybody who would see them on earth. Listen to what he said in verse 4 and 5. I glorified you on earth, just as Jesus. Remember, he's just about to be crucified. Judas and, uh, and the Pharisees are on their way to arrest him. He will be taken out and tried and executed. And he says, I have glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory I had with you before the world existed. Now, what, what is Jesus talking about? D.A. Carson, the uh, theologian, says that the very event by which the Son was being lifted up, the fact that he was going to be lifted up on the cross in horrible humiliation and shame was that for which he would be praised around the world by men and women whose sins he was going to bear. That the very thing that was meant to bring shame to Jesus, the very thing that was meant to humiliate him as his naked, bleeding body was lifted up for anybody in Jerusalem to look at, that is the very thing today that millions and millions of people around the world gather around images of the cross and glory, glorify the name of Jesus because of what took place on the cross. That he would be exalted through his sacrifice. And so Jesus is basically praying in this prayer that the cycle would be completed. That the reversal of his self-emptying that took place when he was born in Bethlehem at the incarnation would be completely reversed as he assumes his place in heaven again. Now this is kind of a complicated thought, and I know it's early, so I know graphics help. So we've got a little graphic here that I think may help. So if you think about this in terms of who Jesus is and what he did, maybe this, maybe this graphic will help you. So Jesus, we know the Bible tells us, has always existed before the creation of the world with God. John says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God, and the Word was with God. God, Jesus, with God, with the glory, with the Father in heaven. God took on flesh, John said, and came to dwell among us. That's the incarnation, that Jesus takes on flesh, God himself takes on flesh, comes and lives among us. The Apostle Paul said that he was, he was willing to set aside his rights as God in order to come to earth and live as a servant. That's the incarnation. After the incarnation, you have something even more amazing. Not only was he willing to set aside all the glories of heaven, but he was even willing to set aside his life on the cross. And Jesus is 
crucified. God is hung on the cross to die for the sins of the world. But that wasn't where it ended. He was buried. And for three days, he was in the ground. Much like that seed that Jesus talked about. So you see the cycle from heaven to earth to shame and persecution and execution to burial. And Jesus, remember, is praying this right before the crucifixion. He's saying, basically, Father, complete the cycle. Three days after the burial, the thing that we're looking forward to celebrating in less than 90 days took place, the resurrection. That God was glorified as Jesus was raised from the dead. And then he lived and walked on earth for 40 days with his disciples. And then he ascended back into heaven, the ascension, completing the cycle. And so when Jesus prays, Father, return to me the glory that I had with you when I was in the beginning. He's basically saying, Father, I'm willing to complete this work. I'm willing to die. I'm willing to be buried. I'm looking forward to the resurrection. And I'm looking forward to coming back to be with you in heaven that the world may see me. Have you ever had an experience where uh, you've been the only one not to notice something? Men, every man should raise your hand. Yeah? Okay. All right. So, so if you've ever had an experience where you were not able to see something, maybe it was something that was going on, maybe there was a plane flying overhead or, or something that was happening, and, and somebody had to come to you, to your light, sign, uh, to, your, uh, to, your, to your line of vision, your line of sight, and, and say, hey, look, and point you to the very thing that you were missing. Okay, That is exactly what Jesus has done for us. That's what God has done for us in Jesus. By his incarnation, by his life, his crucifixion, his burial, and his resurrection, God reached down and said, look at my glory, because it's what you were created for. It's what you need. So how should this affect our prayers? Let me, let me just share with you a couple reasons why I think this should affect the way you pray. See, praying for the glory of God aligns my will with him and his kingdom purposes. If you are praying for the glory of God, you are ultimately praying for the very thing that you were created for at the beginning. It's the way Jesus taught us to pray in Matthew chapter 6, verse 9 and 10. He said, our Father in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Say it with me. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. What? did Jesus teach you to pray? He said, do not pray for your will to be done. Pray that God's will would be done. Do not pray for your kingdom to be established. Pray for God's kingdom to be established. That's what Jesus taught us to pray. And then he himself prayed it right before the crucifixion. Matthew 26, 39, Jesus is praying in this very prayer that John recorded. Matthew recorded uh, some different parts of it. And listen to what Matthew recorded. And going on a little farther, he fell on his face and prayed, saying, My Father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not, what I, not as I will, but as you will. You see, praying for the glory of God makes sure that you, that you are aligning yourself. You are aligning your will, your desires, with the will of God. See, like Jesus... We have to develop such a deep love for God, such a deep desire to walk with him, such a deep relationship with him that we have already decided, we have predetermined that we will accept his will over ours in every situation and in every circumstance. Now think about something you're praying about right now. And let me ask you, are you in that situation right now praying for your will to be done? Are you praying for God's will to be done? 
Are you praying that you'll come out of that situation looking good, or are you praying that God will come out of that situation looking good? You see, this idea of praying for the glory of God, that being the one goal of prayer, that, that, that aligns our will with the will of God. But it does a second thing. Praying for the glory of God assures my prayers will be answered. Listen to what John wrote to a church. He's writing to some young Christians in a letter separate from the Gospel of John. 1 John chapter 5, verse 14 and 15, he writes to these Christians. And this is the confidence that we have towards him. That if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us in whatever we ask, we know, that we, have, we know that we have the request we have asked of him. Now, you have probably heard people who do what I do take this verse and preach it basically like this. Name it and claim it. Right? Just name it and claim it. If you pray and you ask God for it, it says right here in 1 John that you can have whatever you ask for. That is not what this says. What does this say? It says, if you ask anything according to his will, he hears you. And if he hears you, you know that he'll respond to you. What is God's will? God's will is that his glory would fill the earth. So if every one of your prayers is a prayer is a prayer for God's glory to be made known through your circumstances, your prayer will always be answered. It may not be answered the way you want it to be answered. But remember, you've already been willing to submit your will to the will of God. Because that's what it means to follow him, to give up your direction and to follow him. Now, now what, what can you do with this? What is something practical? So if, if the passage is John 17, 1 through 5, if the principle is that prayer has one goal, and that is surrendering our will for the glory of God, then what is it that, what is it that you need to do with that this week? Let me just give you this idea. Commit to surrendering all of your prayers to the glory of God. Just try it. Maybe you try it between now and Easter in your prayer life. How would it change your prayers if you stopped praying for what you want and you instead took that request, submitted it to God and said, God, not my will, but your will be done. And in this situation, God, I'm praying that you would be glorified. Now listen, because here, here's, here's what I think about most of our prayers. And I, I think this because it's true about my prayers. They are way too small. They are way too limited. They... they, they I'm sure God listens to my prayers and just thinks, come on, you got, you got nothing better than that? I mean, it is too small a thing to ask God to heal your hip. Now, do, should you pray for your hip to be healed? Yes. I mean, if something's wrong with your hip. <laughs> but, but listen, it is way too small a thing for you to pray for your hip to be healed or for a cure for your loved one's chronic illness. It is far too small a thing to just ask God to mend your relationships or to help you find a job. Those things are temporary. And you should pray about those things. You should take every opportunity to bring those requests and those concerns to God. He tells you to do it. He cares about those situations. But if that is the extent of your prayer, to just simply pray for somebody to be made well, or simply pray that I would find a job, or simply pray that God would provide and you'd be able to pay your bills. That is far too small a thing to pray for. But what if rather than simply praying for whatever the request is, praying for the healing of somebody that you loved, what if you prayed that this illness itself might reveal God's glory? And Father, it's my desire that you would heal them and that that would bring you glory. Nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. 
And if it's not your will for this person to be healed, if more glory would be brought to you through the struggle and through the illness, then Father, I'm not going to like that. I'm going to pray for something different, but ultimately, I want you to be glorified above all things. So, Father, would you be glorified in this situation? What if about the job situation? What if instead of just praying for a new job, what if you prayed that this unemployment might result in God's will being accomplished in your life? You see, if you just pray for a job, you may get a job. And guess what you'll find out in about six months? You're just as miserable in that job as you were in your last job. But what if instead you said, God, I'm not sure why I'm unemployed right now. I'm not sure why this is happening to me. And I sure would like to have a job. But more than anything else, I want you to be glorified through this unemployment. And I want you to be glorified through whatever job you have for me. So, Lord, if you're holding off giving me a job to give me just the right job where I can glorify you in the workplace, then, Lord, I will be content to wait for you. Because not my will, but your will be done. What if instead of praying for that wayward daughter, that wayward son, what if instead of praying for that family member who's lost, what if instead of just praying that they would return, what if you prayed that this entire experience would bring glory to God? You see, it changes the way we pray about everything. What if you prayed about the relationship, the marriage relationship, the relationship at work? What if instead of just praying, Lord, would you just help them to get over themselves and see that I'm right and turned from all that foolishness? What if, you, what if you quit praying that way and you stood and pray, prayed, Lord, I don't know what's going on in this situation and I sure would like it to be resolved, but more than just a resolution, I want you to be glorified in my life and in their life through the difficult relationship that we're having right now. It is too small a thing for you just to take your prayer request to God and say, God, this is what I want. And then come back six weeks later and say, God, why haven't you delivered? But if instead you say, Everything you pray about is ultimately to bring glory to God. Your prayer will always be answered. What is eternal is God's glory. You see, your job will someday be gone. Your your hip, one day it won't matter if your hip works or not. I mean, every relationship will end at some point. But what never ends is the glory of God. So pray for what will endure Pray for what will endure and outlast this life. Put your prayers higher and bigger. Pray about those things, but pray that in each of those circumstances, God might be glorified. I'm going to ask you to bow your heads as we pray together. And as we kind of bring this to a close, I just want to acknowledge, first of all, as I was... Working on this message, I, I recognized right away that this was not an easy thing to hear. Um, because it's not easy for me to hear. There are situations and circumstances where I have a definite will and desire in what I'm praying about. And so it requires something from me. It requires a level of surrender. And I know for you here today, it requires a level of surrender from you. There may be circumstances and you'd be like, you know, if I'm honest with myself, I'm really not praying that God's will would be done. I'm praying that my will will be done. Because the alternative is too scary for me. The alternative is too difficult. What would it mean if you surrendered what you wanted? And you just prayed that God would be glorified through the situation no matter what the outcome looked like. It would require a lot of faith on your part. It requires a lot of faith to pray like this. I know that. Some of you may not be there yet. I get that. You you may not even be a Christ follower yet. And you just don't have that kind of faith. But here's what I want to invite you to do. I just want you, for the next week, to pray this way. 
and to see if just by opening the door, God might speak to you about your situation in a way that you would never have expected before. And in doing so, that your faith might be expanded, that your relationship with him might be healed, and that God might open your eyes to see something about your circumstances and your situation that you could never see before. I wonder how many of you today would say that there's a situation that you're praying about and uh, you're having a hard time praying, thy will be done. How many of you would just raise your hand and say, that's you right now? It's okay, there are a bunch of us, so raise your hand, don't be ashamed. A lot of us, yeah. We come to you today, God, and I just want to confess how difficult it is to pray like this. But, but I, I'm so grateful for the example of Jesus when I think about how difficult it must have been for him to say, not my will, but your will be done, as he faced the cross. That his ultimate desire and goal was that you would be glorified in him and through him. Lord, today, there are many of us who are here today, who are in the situation that Jesus found himself in. Not, not because we're going to bear the weight of the sins of the world, but Father, there's a circumstance that for us to surrender our will, for us to surrender what it is that we want out of the situation, would require more faith than we have. And so God, right now I pray that you would give us the faith to follow Jesus in this prayer. That in everything and in every way, regardless of what our will is, that you would be glorified. Father, may we come to you in prayer with hands that are open and not clenched. The people that we're praying for, Lord, may we bring them to you with open hands. The relationships that need to be mended, Father, we, we want to come with open hands. Father, the health situations that people are facing with themselves or with family members, job situations, relationships, Lord, we, we want to come with open hands. And we want to pray that your will would be done, your kingdom would come on earth as it is in heaven. That not our will would be done, but that your will would be done. And that in all things, God, Jesus might be glorified that we might see and reflect your glory in this world. And we pray this in the powerful name of Jesus. Amen.